Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Smart Cities Chronicles podcast, your podcast for everything Smart Cities action, investment and outcomes. My name is Adam Beck, your host, my day job, Executive Director with the Smart Cities Council here in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, looking forward to this episode, as I do with most of them, of course. Um, going to be digging into a, uh, a great case study uh, over in uh, Dijon, France. Uh, joining me on the line to sort of take us on that journey is uh, Justin Frank from Suez. Justin, welcome. Hi, Adam. How are you? I am well, thank you. Um, Justin, before we kick off, um, our listeners to the podcast are scattered all over the world. Um, we'd love you to start by giving us a bit of a, a bio. Who are you and what do you do? Uh, so my name is Justin Frank. I'm the Director of Marketing Comms and uh, National Key Accounts for Suez, Australia and New Zealand, part of the leadership team. Uh, the title is abbreviated somewhat, so under my scope, I look after marketing, comms, corporate affairs, uh, sustainability, the customer experience, corporate strategy, large customers, and also smart cities, and I'm on the call. In terms of Suez, um, Suez is a global environmental services company uh, specializing in uh, water management, uh, recycling, reuse and filtration, um, and also waste management, recycling and recovery. Uh, the organization has been around for quite some time, hasn't it, Justin? It has. So um, in different entities, uh, Suez, if, you, if you're kind of going well, Huez, uh, Suez, the name comes from the Suez Canal. Uh, which uh, a former entity uh, did build, so uh, some quite quite uh, esteemed heritage. We um, we're going to talk about uh, well, partially we're going to talk about a really exciting project that's kind of getting off the ground now, partially deployed, but uh, it's a it's a long term project um, known as um, uh, as the, uh, the the Dijon project uh, or on Dijon as uh, as yeah. I as I should sort of um, correctly uh, uh, address it. Um, it's uh, it's it's a unique one from a number of perspectives, and I suppose it depends on sort of where you're sitting and the lens that I bring to it, and and you will also bring to it in this conversation is you know, sitting here in Australia. Um, it's, it's kind of a project and a story, not only about smart city sort of and digital transformation and deployment, but also one around partnership, also one uh, around funding. Um, it's got a, a, a lot of different parts to it. Um, at face value uh, and, and my immediate reaction to the project when I sort of stumbled across it last year, Justin was, um, oh, this is not your typical Suez waste management project. Um, and so that's what originally caught my attention. I was in Barcelona uh, at, the World, uh, at the World Smart Cities Expo World Congress and there was um, uh, an exhibit there with sort of a, a bit of a mock-up of the, of the control room um, yeah. Which uh, which also you'll certainly share with us a little bit more on this on this conversation. Um, can we just start by um, winding back a little bit, and can you give us some context to the Dijon project, how it came about, uh, who the sort of core partners are, just to set the scene? Yeah, absolutely. And um, um, I suppose that that transition from water and, and waste management into smart cities, the way the way we look at our core competencies as a business. Um, if you take out water and waste, what we do is we manage very complex networks, so water networks, 
or very complex boxes, whether it's a desalination plant or a wastewater treatment plant, or very complex uh, logistical networks on the, on the resource recovery side. Either way, we have multiple different feeds and sensors or data streams coming into our own systems. We have a Visio software, um, certainly on the water side, where we transform that data into information and then knowledge, uh, where we then make decisions to make our business and our customers' business more efficient, safer, and more profitable, whatever the, the metric that the customer wants to look at. In terms of the, uh, the actual move into Dijon, um, we already have very strong relationships on both the water and, and the uh, waste management side with, with the, uh, the city and the mayor, uh, but we really wanted to understand what else we could do with the city. Uh, and Dijon, if for those uh, listeners who are not aware where they're situated, so Dijon is pretty much equidistant between Paris with 15 million inhabitants and Lyon, which has 4 million inhabitants. And facing a little bit of a, of a, a brand crisis, um, you know, 250,000 inhabitants, it's always difficult to retain talent and to attract investment with the bigger siblings either side. And what the mayor's vision uh, was, was to create a, you know, a fully connected city to improve the economic vitality of the city, the environmental uh, attributes of the city, the mobility of the city, uh, and the connectivity of the city to really provide a um, an enhanced lifestyle for the residents of that city and visitors. The um, the sort of partnership. Let, let's sort of transition now to sort of who, who's behind the project, not only with the city, but on on sort of the supply side. Um, Justin Suez is sort of in a consortium with yep. uh, a, a bunch of other friends. Can you sort of give us an outline of of who they are and sort of how that uh, how that sort of came about? Yeah, absolutely. So the On Connect, sorry, the On the On Dijon project is a consortium between Suez, Buig, Energies and Services. Switzerland, and there's also Captain and I in there as well. So we, uh, they execute different urban services, such as smart lighting, lighting, traffic regulation, CCTV, uh, and building safety and security. Uh, Switzerland brings experience in urban space uh, and centralised management, so CMMS. Uh, and Suez, uh, really, we rely on over 150 years of expertise in urban service uh, operations. And we fully operate the uh, Command and Control Centre, the CCC, for uh, the full 12 years. Um, and we also provide GIS solutions for the project. So, so you mentioned uh, the, the, the figure of 12 years there. So, um, so this is uh, somewhat of a long-term um, sort of partnership and and project for the consortium 12, 12 years uh is that that that's not your typical kind of you know um tended project uh, you know around cities these days what what's the thinking behind sort of quite a long-term you know uh arrangement for a city in terms of entering into uh an agreement with uh with a private sector consortium for that that period of time well, well, again, it's a partnership. So, you know, technology and the pace of change is is rapid, and you want to have trust, credibility, and a partnership that has time to 
know, take new innovations to build upon the functions of the city that we're already operating. So, you know, the 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 on Dijon project is um, 105 million euro performance contract over that 12 years, uh, and you know, half of that amount uh, is dedicated to investment, which is financed by the city uh, as part of the municipal equipment renovation program. Uh, but that investment was already planned in the municipal budget, so it's not um, a standalone uh, budget or an additional budget. Half of it was already already you know, budgeted for. The remainder comes from the performance KPIs uh, in terms of uh, energy savings through LED lights, through um, better, quicker response times to improve the mobility of the, of the city. But the, the length in time is to really embed those critical functions that we're already um, working on as a consortium, but to also then open up the possibilities that an open data source provides the city, um, new technologies that um, can be applied to build um, onto the, um, the overall smart city um, offering that can be plugged into the control center. Okay, so if we sort of just let's let's lay out on the table the the sort of component parts to this uh, to this project, Justin. You know, you've mentioned those other partners, um, Buig and City Loom, uh, and, and yourselves in Suez. Um, all large organisations bringing different uh, different capabilities. Uh, you've mentioned um, you know a connected control centre. You know, you've mentioned kind of public space management. Uh, investments and upgrades. Um, can we lay it on the table that the component parts and then sort of build it up? So uh, in terms of sort of the public realm, um, let's tick those off. You mentioned CCTV, you mentioned yep. smart lighting. Uh, are, are there other investments? Um, you, you, you're already doing water and waste. Is that all sort of part of the deal as well? Yeah, so the water and waste isn't actually uh, the moment. Okay. Uh, water and waste is, is a separate contract, but there's no reason why in the future we couldn't look at uh, involving those. There's, there's some geolocation of vehicles, uh, and some of our vehicles can be included in that just to, to help um, look at flow in the city. But the, the, the other areas that are included are um, traffic light management, um, the actual app for the city, which is, is, is being developed, um, obviously the CCTV, um, there is air quality sensors as well um, to again assess whether it's a high pollen day or a high pollution day and whether you should get the, uh, get the bus rather than uh, riding your bike um, or whether you can ride your bike because it's pure air. Uh, and then the other piece is, is street signage as well, so just street signage to help visitors know which way to go. Um, and if there's an incident in the city, so you can uh, help flow uh, of traffic, avoid the incident wherever it may be. Uh, and also the things like Bollard. So in Dijon, again, the nuances of the cities will change depending on what city we work in. But there, there is a, a fairly large pedestrianised area within Dijon. And there are multiple Bollards that are controlled by the control centre to go up and down to let emergency services in, etc. Et so a fairly broad um area um bringing in basically six different functions that were previously uh, had their own uh, controls bringing those six different functions into the into the one command control center 
So let's talk about that sort of the, the central nervous system there of the of the connected uh, control center. Um, not not necessarily sort of a, a, a regular in investment over here in Australia, but we do see it uh, scattered across the world in multiple places. Um, so that kind of brings all of the feeds together uh, from those various sort of uh, sensors. Um, uh, so what are we talking about here? We physically got, you know, the, the, the big, the big screens on the wall, people yep. behind, behind sort of desks, keeping an eye on things, uh, monitoring calls and sort of citizen service type stuff is, is that you know the, that classic image of the of the connected you know control and command center that's what we're talking about yeah pretty much uh screens on the wall uh, completely you know the hypervision layer uh, looking at the the city and the, and the connected nodes within the city uh at the moment we're getting calls and, and uh, electronic forms of, of queries coming through and the, the contract is based on performance, so our response times to uh, those queries that come in. And we've got over 500 uh, SOPs that have been developed for different scenarios that could happen in the city, and they're all programmed in for how the operator should respond. Um, obviously, once the app becomes alive, that will give uh, citizens another way to uh, log an issue, whether it's uh, trash on the on the sidewalk or you know a, a motorcyclist being hit by a car or whatever it may be um, it, it can be linked and the other the other piece to to be aware of is uh, the situation of the command and control center is uh, in the same building as the uh, police force uh, and there is a, a a frosted wall that separates uh, the police from um, the Suez employees operating the command and control center um to protect the public privacy um so it's only the police that can see the cctv cctv footage but they are connected into the system as well mm, interesting um a fascinating kind of a arrangement you also mentioned there i think in the beginning justin that suez is also providing gis solutions for the project did i hear you correctly there yes yeah Okay. Okay. So, um, so we've got a lot going on. We've got the single control and command center that's, that's managing a whole diversity of these, these services. Um, just, just a couple of clarification questions. Did, did sort of one of these centers already exist in the city or this is a new, a new sort of asset and a new, a new sort of platform that they're, that they're sort of in, have installed? So the, the building that it's situated in is uh, is not a new building, um, and the previous functions of the city were being controlled in various areas of the city before. But it's it's the first time that these uh, separate functions have been uh, consolidated into into one location. Yeah. Okay. So they, they were somewhat isolated and yeah siloed yeah, in the past. Siloed. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can I just um. Can I get from you a sense of what your interpretation of the city's sort of, you know, level of interest and excitement is about this? I mean, are they, what, what are they looking forward to, you know, with, with this investment? I mean, there's, there's probably two, two main objectives there. The first one is, is for the city to offer a better quality of service to its users. So reduced response times, and uh, better, better infrastructure, really, uh, more connected infrastructure. The second one is is, is an economic one. So it, it's to save money. It's um, you know, to really drive economic benefits so that 
budget can be reused for for more uh, value-added uh, initiatives. So, for example, just by um, just by procuring the functions in a consortium manner, um, you know, there were millions of euros saved by Dijon just by having one procurement process instead of six. Um, the LED lighting will deliver, you know, significant sums of millions across the uh, across the, the contract over the 15 years. So there's an immediate payback, which then helps fund uh, fund the the future development of the contract, um, as long as the KPIs are met. And then, really, the um, you know, last but not least, the city aims to develop new services for citizens like the app, and all of those um, connected nodes in the app uh, will be feeding data into a data lake. And I suppose the the overarching vision is that. That data lake is a, is an open data source, you know, protected by the appropriate privacy uh, laws in Europe, uh, that would allow startups and investors to come to Dijon and um, you know play with that data and smash it into other data to come up with new ways of uh, innovating to make the city a, a better place or a more economically viable place to live. I, I imagine with those KPIs in place, you know, sort of somewhat performance contracting we're talking about here, you know, the, the ongoing upgrading and provision of new services is potentially just going to be financed year after year by the savings from, from, from this project. It just seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? Absolutely. That's exactly, the, that's exactly it. If, if, if all the consortium delivers on, on our parts of the contract, Savings are delivered for the city, which enables them to reinvest in the project. So it's a self-sustaining model, really. Let's just sort of push pause on on Dijon and the project for a moment, but but let's let's sort of carry over though that that sort of idea and the arrangements that that we've you know we've been building up here on Dijon. Um, you know, I've had exposure to you know, the infrastructure world for quite some time in Australia, um, you know, horizontal infrastructure, you know, toll roads and tunnels and bridges mm-hmm. and other kind of investments, you know, th- this kind of idea of alliance contracting, you know, risk reward um, uh, kind of arrangements and agreements has, has been around for a long time in, in that civil infrastructure world. Um, there's, there's, and really, you know, strong alignment with with sort of what Dijon has in place, you know, as a municipality. Um, let's just talk about that for a moment here. I mean, this conversation, having this conversation in Australia, and I suspect in maybe some other sort of parts of the world, um, the idea of a of a local authority, a municipality, kind of, you know, entering into you know a decade plus long agreement technology you know deployment management agreement um would just freak a lot of cities out i would imagine talk to me about you know the 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 sort of transition of a of a dijon uh arrangement you know and and planning that here in australia what do you what do you sort of get a sense will be you know the, the the, the opportunities, but then also sort of maybe the barriers that we're going to have to work through and, and, and break down. Yeah, so I think the opportunities uh, are vast. So if the right consortium gets together, um, 
and puts a, you know, a very compelling value proposition to the city that they can address multiple functions of the city and connect them and create a more cohesive and connected city. The, you know, the payback should be, should be quite clear for the city, um, both from a procurement perspective, but also in, uh, if, if you include you know, some of the things that you can do from a maintenance and infrastructure piece, you know, not having to dig up a road four times to put fiber optics in and then to check the gas and then to do water. If you can, you got a water leak, you, you, you detect it, you go in there, you can, you can start to plan a lot better uh, around when you're opening up a road, as an example. So there's lots of different ways you can, you can start to create value. I suppose the differences here are, um, yeah, the networks in Europe and, and further afield are sometimes owned by the private sector. So we, we uh, operate and maintain um, you know, large uh, networks across Europe. Here, the, the networks are owned by the utilities. So that, that creates a bit of a, a different nuance that you've got to overcome, or we certainly have to involve those utilities in the, in the overall plan. Uh, and again, they may have their own plans. So it's it's trying to it's trying to understand both the city's needs, the uh, the players that own parts of the city or the infrastructure in the city, their needs, and try and find a path. And that's really the biggest barrier is be having an open and transparent conversation with all the different players to really understand um, the, the bigger picture, so that you can then provide a. A solution for, for the city that you know a lot of people think smart cities is all around you know technology but the technology is just a means to an end you know technology will continue to improve but it, it's trying to understand what the city is trying to achieve and then the technology is choosing the right technology to deliver that that, um, that vision I suppose. Data continues to be both uh, an amazing asset and opportunity for leverage, but the double-edged sword there is, you know, mounting kind of concern, risk around, you know, privacy and and, uh, related issues. Let's flip back to Dijon. Um, You've you've got a number of streams coming in. There's a lot of um, data being poured into a lake, as you mentioned. where where is sort of the city at with with sort of those potential concerns or risks and how manageable are they and what's what's in place to sort of ensure that um, you know you've mentioned a few things around privacy but um, is is there anything else that that sort of has been highlighted a lot along the journey that you know is 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 certainly manageable but you know we still need to uh, you know be be wary of yeah I mean. First and foremost, as, as I mentioned before, the, the, the CCTV is, is the most um, sensitive one, uh, and that's why there's, there's kind of uh, the appropriate measures been put in place. That there's a, there's a there's a very definitive break between our control centre and the police, um, but easy access for the police to get into uh, the control centre should they need our assistance to. Uh, you know, re- respond to an incident in the uh, in the city. With regards to the uh, the, the other uh, data streams coming in, um, the contract and, and the performance of the contract has to guarantee full respect to that data privacy in, in line with the uh, the European laws. So, um, 
that all those pieces are being put in place and that's why you have a consortium in there so there's 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 multiple um multiple entities that are held accountable for respecting that privacy okay well that's that that that's good to hear um I, I want to go back to sort of the financial model a, a little bit more. Um, I, you, you did rattle off some, some sort of um, some numbers there, Justin, something like a hundred plus million euros was kind of, you know, the, the investment um, uh, that was sort of already in the pipeline, so to speak from, uh, from the municipality. Um, the, the KPIs, and, and the business model here is is, is an interesting one. Um, I I I ask you the question point blank: Does the consortium actually have skin in the game in terms of putting in capital, or it is it, it is primarily driven through um, uh, sort of a, you know greater efficiency and then savings that's where it's where the, the sort of money to reinvest comes from can you what can you tell me sort of a, a, about that yeah so the, yeah, in, in comparison to other projects the, the capital uh, requirement is, is is significantly less you know, obviously the software and the sensors that need to be put in but the capital um, burden is is pretty low um, compared to projects that we are used to um, uh, investing in, you know, desal plants, wastewater treatment plants, energy from waste plants, transfer stations, filtration plants, they're all, you know, significant builds. Um, so the the the, the capital uh, and OPEX, in the OPEX is, is higher because obviously you, you, you have to employ people and, and buildings, um, rent buildings in the space to, to actually run it. Um, but yeah, it's it's really the performance contract um, that generates the value for the city and for the um, for the consortium. Uh, I, I suppose the other piece that's, that's worth pointing out is is uh, the value that's also created for the community. So um, it, it really is uh, trying to become a local project uh, that participates to the local economic development. So uh, there'll be forty five direct jobs created. Um, and roughly 15% of the work will be directly linked um, uh, to the project is, is going to be subcontracted to small and middle-sized local companies. So again, it's, that's another piece to try and drive a sustainable ecosystem uh, around the city itself. Yeah. I, I didn't ask this. I should have asked this up front in terms of um, how the city went to market was this a was this an open tender or an invited tender that you you responded to or yeah, yeah okay, okay so it was out in the marketplace yeah okay so so just on those KPIs um, do you know if they were specified in the tender or that was a negotiation process because that's that's kind of pretty key right you you would have had to sort of undertaken modelling based on those KPIs and what you could reinvest is there any any sort of sense of that process of setting and negotiating KPIs? Yes, so the, yeah, there were certain KPIs that, that were quite clear. Um, so in terms of, you know, there was things like LED lighting, they're, they're not exactly, uh, it's not new technology anymore, is it? So no, no. There's, there's savings that are quite easily you know, benchmarkable, if, if, if that's a word as such, but you can benchmark the savings that you would expect. Um, you, can, you can benchmark some of the savings from procurement. 
In terms of the some of the finer detail and response times, um, yeah, that's once the, the winning uh, consortium uh, were in place, then it's, it's more of a collaborative approach to what is a reasonable response time based on scenarios. And what really hit me when I went to, to visit the, uh, the control centre um, a few weeks ago was the, the level of detail that the, the sewers team have gone into in terms of the, the you know the 500 different um, incidents that could happen or scenarios that could happen and, and the, the, the standard operating procedures that were put in place to address those and a very clear time-bound um, responses that need to be need to be executed and that's why we have to work on the shifting patterns so that there's 24/7 coverage. I um I want to I want to transition again to what I think is a really fundamental kind of adjunct to this conversation we're having around Dijon and the model, um, and it, and it kind of the cue for me was was the LED lighting. So let let's talk about sustainability and the circular economy for a moment. I mean we are no there is no shortage of of crises, you know, social. Uh, environmental, um, you know, let's just pick climate for one. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it seems to me that um, our, our our lack of, ac- and I'm talking about Australia for a moment, uh, and I'll make some bold claims, you know, our, our lack of action, you know, in terms of arresting, you know, the climate crisis, um, the, the, the slow deployment of, of, solutions that are readily available right now, you know, whether it be sort of energy or, you know, waste to energy, for example, you know, I was over in the middle of the Philippines in the middle of nowhere in January and I stumbled across a waste to energy plant um, in the middle of these rice fields and, and the, the, the husks from the rice fields that were, you know, they used to go to landfill, uh, no value whatsoever to the farmers uh, now being sort of, um, uh, gathered and used as input, you know, uh, into this massive waste to energy plant, um, fully funded by the private sector, fully sustainable, uh, benefit going back to um, uh, farmers, uh, and they're looking at a second site. And this is getting to a, a scale where it's going to essentially power three cities in, in sort of the rural Philippines. Um, I, I just can't help that there is just such a synergy between um, Available technology now, uh, solving critical, you know, problems like, you know, climate um, with um, tried and tested and proven business models and and agreements. I mean, um, this seems to be, um, you know, uh, if not the biggest opportunity, one of the biggest that for Australia we have given some of the the sort of issues that we're facing. Would, Would you not? Sort of agree? Oh, we, we, we would agree. Uh, we, um, rightly or wrongly, probably don't put that under smart cities uh, banners, but I can see why why you draw that link. Uh, for us, you know, uh, energy from waste or waste to energy, whichever way you want to say it, is, is the missing link in, in the waste hierarchy. So obviously, you should avoid first if you can, um, reuse, recycle. Um, but it's the recovery stage, uh, recovering that calorific value of waste rather than just putting it into the ground before landfill, which is, is something that we, we, we absolutely need to look at. 
um, you know, there's multiple different factors here. You've, you've got landfills that are running out of space. We operate some of those landfills. Um, I can talk about uh, one that's, that's quite public, which is the Australian Paper um, project that we're working in partnership with Australia Paper with. So, um, you know, they will be the primary offtaker of the energy, and that's, well, that's really where we, we like to focus. We run 55 energy from waste plants across the world, so we, we have the expertise and we know which technologies work. But it's a cogeneration um, plant, so uh, you, you burn waste that is waste. Um, we've modelled that if you could get residents to get all the recyclables into the right bin, so the yellow bin, and, and even get out all the organic waste and use after compost for the use, uh, with the net positive migration that's coming into uh, Australia and specifically the eastern seaboard, um, there'll be more than enough uh, uh, waste left. Uh, to power a plant, which would then be through cogen to generate steam, which would then be used to um, uh, power the plant. And uh, it's already the, the biggest um, source of renewable energy in Victoria. And, and this is really to uh, reduce the burden on, on fossil fuels and gas usage in a market where gas prices have doubled uh, since 2011 and don't really show huge signs of, uh, of decreasing, although they have stabilised a bit. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it, it really is a no-brainer, um, but it hasn't been done as yet. Um, there's not a fully operational plant in Australia, so I feel that there's, there's some nervousness around both uh, federal and state government to be the first movers as such and, and getting things moving. So complex. Um, but uh, a necessity. The other piece is, you know, there needs to be a harmonisation of levies around the country. Um, whilst, uh, you know, levies remain at zero in Queensland, thankfully coming up to $75 uh, next month, uh, you know, in the low 60s in Victoria. Um, for those people who don't want to move up the waste hierarchy, it's still cheaper to stick it on the ground. Uh, and whilst our landfills are very highly engineered and we, we capture all, uh, as much as the, the landfill gas as we possibly can to actually power homes and send it to the grid, um, you know, we, we still think there's a better way. Justin, can I, um, can I just sort of step us back for a moment? Um, and I want to talk about Australia, our position in the global economy. Um, we certainly know that 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 Europe, um, for a long time, has has sort of you know ma mastered the art of not only sort of you know um, circular economy related investments, but you know as we're seeing in Dijon, uh, the way to sort of you know get public private partnerships together and, and longer term you know financial models is is quite sophisticated. Um, for Australia, for a for the, for the moment, um, what what does this do or what doesn't it do in helping position us in a global marketplace, in, in a global economy um, that, that's acknowledging a climate crisis, uh, but also, you know, we're, we're all connected now. You know, it, it's a, it, we're in a data and innovation economy. Um, are you... Are you optimistic? Are, are, are you concerned? What's your sort of meta feeling uh, about 
Australia's position when it comes to embracing these type of models and technology? Uh, I'm optimistic. Uh, I think we're we're at a tipping point. Um, the the public pressure is mounting on the politicians. Uh, I think the short uh, political cycles don't help. You know, every three years it's 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 difficult sometimes for politicians to make the, the bold decisions that need to be made uh, because you know they can be polarizing decisions. Um, some of the challenges that Australia face, some of them are just natural challenges. So. The tyranny of distance, um, for those listeners who haven't realised, I'm, I'm, I'm not originally from, from here. Uh, you know, the UK fits, I think, at least five times just into New South Wales alone with 65 million people in it. So you, you have demographic volume uh, and, and certainly less mileage to cover for logistical movements that are you know, very, very important in, in feeding um, facilities. Uh, so that's a challenge, um, and with only 26, what, 25, 26 million people in Australia, whatever the, the, the number is, you, your volume is, is significantly less. So finding the right location for appropriate facilities to make them sustainable from an economic perspective becomes a challenge. But then you've got the macroeconomic factors of over 25 years, uh, positive GDP, a pretty short-termism view on waste management from from a country uh, which is a first world country but really hasn't followed first world practices in terms of um, strategy to develop a circular economy um, and the cost of labor uh, becomes uh, very challenging so technology needs to be uh, certainly in there to reduce the uh, the burden of manufacturing here but it doesn't just have to be waste you know the car industry that's gone overseas food processing industries and other manufacturing industries are, are overseas uh, i think even nappies are, are moving overseas so mm. um, you know we're, we're just not as competitive as we should be in that manufacturing and processing uh, arena so really what needs to happen is there needs to be some kind of stimulus um, there needs to be some kind of reward mechanism that you know, facilities that um, can process plastics and the different types of plastics, or that can process organics um, and turn them into into compost or other reuse, uh, put them into anaerobic digestion facilities that we already do in terms of uh, generating electricity through that and power. Um, there needs to be more more reward, and, and most importantly. Um, and the Australian Packaging Covenant are certainly working with industry to try and do this, is there needs to be some pull demand. So you can set up all the, the recycling facilities that you want. But if there's no demand to use the recycled content in things, well, then you've got a problem. So it really needs collaboration from, from federal government through to state government, through to uh, waste service providers like ourselves, the waste generators, uh, to education of the community about what to put in the bin and what not to put in the bin, harmonisation of levies uh, and even a harmonisation of bin systems would be very, very uh, appreciated because in, you know, where I live, I've got four, four bins. Uh, in, in suburbs further down the road, there are three bins or two bins. So there's, there's a lot of work to be done, but it's not impossible. Just going back to Dijon, and, and, you know, drawing a line of sight to some of those issues just now you've mentioned, I, I can only imagine that when 
there is a long-term partnership in place, you know, 10 plus years, um, KPI driven um, skin in the game from both the city and, and the, and the private sector. Um, surely that's got to help us resolve some of those issues because um, the, 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 the only sort of success is going to be sort of innovation and, um, and, and making sort of the, the transition happen happen in an arrangement like that. I, I mean, again, I go back to Dijon. I mean, that model to me just seems like a translation here could, could really help us drive innovation, changing some of those rules and regulation because everyone's got skin in the game uh, and, we're, and we're driven by outcomes and, and KPIs. Um, is that wouldn't that would that not be the case? I think it is absolutely the case, and I think if it, yeah, the, the 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 structuring of data, if that can be analysed in an appropriate way, the it gives you almost a roadmap on where you need to innovate to fix further pain points in the city, whether it's congestion, whether it's um, pollution, whether it's litter, whether it's graffiti. You can start to use nodes whether it's garbage trucks or or something else in the city to be part of the solution uh, and not for their primary uh, not just for their primary uh, function justin i wanted to ask you the question uh, just back to dijon the role of the community um and of course i think about it here you know our short-term political cycles um you know, we, we see the role that social media plays, you know, a 24-hour media cycle in sort of driving behaviour. I mean, I would imagine, and I'm just sort of guessing here, and I'm, I suppose I'm putting myself, you know, in, into this scenario. You know, I, I'm a resident of Brisbane City. You know, I pay rates. You know, I have my bins and, you know, I sort of, you know, live my life in the city. You know, I, I would imagine that, that the community would be, delighted if i can use that word would be delighted i would be delighted if my municipality you know had that sort of longevity and thought to sort of form partnerships to drive innovation drive savings and ultimately what that's doing is driving greater sort of uh you know sort of capital that can then be reinvested for better city services i mean the community surely would sort of give this a thumbs up, I would have thought. Is there any early sense of Dijon and its community and how it's interacting or expressing views around this? Well, they, they don't care. What, what, what do you think? Uh, so I think there's, I mean, we're already getting, you know, the, the, the tickets coming through, so they're definitely interacting. I think once the app is up and running, um, you know, that's all the inhabitants will be uh, invited to participate on that. And obviously there'll have to be a bit of a marketing push to, to, to bring them over onto the app. Um, but that gives them uh, the opportunity to really participate uh, in their daily life, um, to, to really uh, get involved and provide all the information around the public services of the city, but also allows anyone to report unusual events, you know, potential dangers that they see in public spaces, um, so that the municipal services can can deal with it. So, absolutely there. I mean, you know, you talk about Brisbane. Some of some of the the, the glimpses I hope that you see is Brisbane's uh, a prime example. Actually, we've we've just resigned a contract uh, for the collection uh, services in in Brisbane for 16 years. So it's a very long term contract. 
uh, and uh, we have a connected fleet of trucks there with 360 degree um, cameras for safety. Um, but you know, what what else can we do, and and how can what are the challenges for the city can we address uh, in a partnership or in a consortium to to make sure that we can continually innovate over that 16 year contract? Well, there's certainly. Um certainly sort of uh, glimmers of, of hope there in hearing uh, in hearing sort of um, projects like that. Um, probably time for a final question, Justin. I want to sort of bring this down a little bit more to sort of, you know, your, um, your sort of, you know, next 12, 24 months. Um, what's sort of, what's exciting you? What are you looking forward to? Um, are you leaving Dijon on the shelf over there? Have you got aspirations to sort of replicate here? What, what's sort of coming up for you and what are you excited about? Yeah, so absolutely we're, we're looking to um, replicate the, the Dijon or the, the On Dijon project over here where, where it meets the needs of the city. So um, it's really trying to find those opportunities where we believe that our own capabilities can can take off a few functions of the city, but then drawing in on our partners and our partners are extensive um, that we can go. Do you know what we, we can we can really um, connect the city well uh, and, and address multiple issues and multiple opportunities of the city uh, with with a consortium approach. Um, you know, we we cannot Suez alone cannot address every function of the city. And I don't think there's many entities out there that can. So it's, it's really understanding the needs of the cities, finding the right consortium approach, uh, and then building the right value proposition that makes it a no-brainer to, to, to move forward. So you know, we've got opportunities in the pipeline. Um, I'm, I'm currently recruiting for a role to extend the Smart Cities team here. Um, so we can, we can really start to kick some goals. Um, and we might start smaller. We might not go to a, you know, a, 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 one of the large capitals straight away. Um, um, you know, we're looking forward to getting involved in some of the, the, the greenfield opportunities that are presenting themselves over the, over the coming years. Well, it certainly um, sounds like not only a busy 12, 24 months ahead for you, but, but an exciting one. Um, I, um, I, I really love these type of conversations, you know, these these sort of more horizontal issues that we need to, to talk more about, such as agreements, partnerships, governance, procurement, and KPIs and, and investment and things like that. So it's been a, it's been a delight talking to you, Justin. Um, the On Dijon project is, is kind of really just kicking off now. So uh, I, I am, I'm, I'm thoroughly looking forward to sort of maybe bringing you in for a six month check-in to sort of, you know, see how it's performing and how it's going and, and what we're all learning. Um, exchanging knowledge and, and insights is, is a really important part of us all, all sort of, you know, flourishing. So um, I'd love to bring you back in the future, but for now we'll, uh, we'll sort of call it, uh, call it a close there and, and really wanted to uh, thank you for joining us on the Chronicles today. My pleasure and, and thank you very much for showing me interest and, and, and helping get the message out there. Absolutely. Uh, my guest today has been Justin Frank, uh, who works uh, in uh, uh, marketing and communications, key account management at, at Suez in Australia, based out of Sydney. We've been talking about the On Dijon project, uh, a fantastic case study. Encourage uh, all our listeners on the line uh, to head into a, uh, a browser and, and look up um, 
the the vast array of information that's available. There's, there's press releases, there's videos, uh, and of course, there's lots more to come now. Uh, for those of you that aren't subscribing to the Smart Cities Chronicles podcast, you can do so through your favourite platforms, Spotify and Apple and others. Our website is also there. You can uh, connect with us, smartcitieschronicles.com. Uh, you can also send us an email at any time. The email address is chronicles at anz.smartcitiescouncil.com. But for now, uh, we want to wish you a fantastic day. Have a great week and we look forward to speaking to you again soon.